And it was always great for teenage years, sometimes when maybe we didn't 100% get along (laughs) (laughs) always, but it was always, should we sit and read? Yeah, let's sit down and read. And that we worked everything through that way, I think. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 111. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, the Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge is live for 2018. Visit the show notes for today's episode to get the details. That's at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 111. Visit that page to sign up and get your free goodies to help you get more out of your reading life in 2018. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to hear about this and all the other good stuff coming your way in the new year. Make sure you're on the list so you stay in the know. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Emily and Daniela Luce, a mother-daughter duo from New Hampshire who have been reading together for Emily's entire life since she was a newborn before she even knew what a book was. Today, we discuss how reading is enjoyable and also an enjoyable way to spend time with the people you love, especially when reading snacks are involved. Emily went off to college this fall, so we also discuss the pain of having to wait too long to talk to your book buddy about what you're reading and how texting in all caps about a book you just read is totally acceptable. This week, we also touch on books for book people, Swedish children's books, the pleasures of rereading, and reading Dr. Seuss for the first time as an adult. Let's get to it. Emily, Daniela, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Well, I am really excited to talk to you all today. We got, I assume you're What Should I Read Next listeners? Yes, of course. And so we got the submission about how you all, a mother and daughter, have been reading together for a really long time. And I would love to hear more about that. Well, we actually started when Emily was a baby before you were even big enough to know what a book is. Mm -hmm. uh, Because Emily had... Um, colic. And when you have a colicky baby, you walk around with a baby all the time trying to really calm her down. And nothing worked. So I started telling her stories that I remembered from when I was growing up. And we would walk hour by hour and I would talk and talk and talk. It didn't help the colic at all, really, actually. (laughs) But it helped me. But anyway, so when you got a little older you just love books really from did. yeah from the get-go you would come running at 6 a.m with your first book and then we would just keep going so that's how we started and then we never stopped mm-hmm. so Daniela not everybody thinks to read to their colicky baby what's your history with the reading life I always loved books um, I just I always read uh, growing up so that was sort of my go-to comfort I think even when you were little even before you even knew what books were, Emily. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> For our listeners, it's probably hard to imagine there was such a time. Right. Yeah. Tell me about how that joint reading experience evolved as Emily got a little older, went to school, started to be able to read for herself. Um, well, I remember every day when I would come home from school, once I started going to school, um, my mom would read to me. And so... And that never stopped. And I don't think I expected it to stop, but it just evolved as I did. And as I grew up, we started to read more difficult books. We started to read some classics. 
And I never thought about not reading with her. So I think it just naturally evolved as I did as I got older. And then um, towards the end of high school, towards senior year, um, I started reading to her. And so it kind of came full circle, which I really liked. It did. Yes, that was really fun. I was always expecting that Emily would say that, oh, I don't really want to read anymore. I want to read to myself. But you never did. It was how we rounded out our day, really. When you came home from school, it was the transition between school and home and everything. And we would have reading snacks and and read our book. Reading snacks. I love it. Yeah, (laughs) it was it was a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back, what are some of your favorite books that you read together that really stand out in your memory at different ages and stages? I think one of the most influential ones was Harry Potter because it was the first series we read together. It was, yes. And I loved it so much. It's still my favorite series ever right now. How old were you, Emily, when you all read that? You started when you were five, I think. (laughs) Yes, because you really wanted to read Harry Potter. I did. Yes. I had read them and I talked about them all the time. And then you wanted to read them too. And I thought it could be too scary. It wasn't too scary. You were fine. Yes, (laughs) it was good. And before that, we read picture books. Um, I'm originally from Sweden. So we read a lot of Swedish picture books when you were little. And, uh, And then we transitioned. And when you started, when we started reading Dr. Seuss and stuff in English, that was a first for me also, because I'd never read them before. So that was cool. I got to experience a lot of American children's books for the, with Emily for the first time. That is an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Daniela, when did you leave Sweden? Um, 20 years ago this year, actually. So I've been here for a long time. So we came here before you were born, Emily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Emily and Daniela, a lot of parents and kids stop reading together when the kids can read independently. It sounds like it never occurred to you all to quit. No, it really didn't. (laughs) No, it it never did. It occurred to me that Emily might want to quit, but it never occurred to me to stop. Does that mean that you were just kind of keeping quiet and, and thinking if she wanted to stop, she would tell you? Yeah, I think so. And it didn't seem to you didn't seem to think about that no. at all. No. It seemed like it became such a natural part of our routine that I, I didn't even consider not reading together. And it was so much fun. It was. It, it was, was really yes. <laughs> even if you're in college now and we can't do it every day anymore. When you could, we read yesterday. Yeah, yep. Because I came home yesterday. Yep. So. What were you reading yesterday? Um, we were reading A Sense of Direction um, by Gideon Krauss. Yes, it's, we've just started that one. So um, it is a, the book is called A Sense of Direction, Pilgrimage for the Restless and the Hopeful. And it's really funny, actually. It's about a person who is not religious at all, but finds that he needs to go on all these pilgrimages. Mm-hmm. He, go, he does the Camino de Santiago. He goes to Japan and later he goes to uh, Ukraine. And it is it is really funny. And I can't yeah. wait for, to share it with Emily. How did you all find that book? So it sounds like you've read it before, Danielle. I read, I read it first and it was it, it triggered a bit of a crisis for me because <laughs> Emily wasn't home that week. And usually if we're, you know, we talk about books all the time. And I was reading this book that was so funny and just poignant and hilarious. And you weren't home and I couldn't talk to you about it. And, you know, I can't really, there was, there was no one else to talk to. No. 
your dad doesn't read that much. And he thought I was nuts. There's this book. We have to read it. It's so funny. And they get stamps on pilgrimages. And I was really psyched. So now we have to read it. How long would it take you to go through a book like that? It depends on how. I mean, now it'll take a long time because I'm not home right now. You're not home. Right. That's what I'm thinking of. If you only have a week here and there for college break. How far away is Emily in school? Um, I'm six hours, six, yeah. seven hours away. Yeah. So your your family's in New Hampshire and the college is six or seven hours away. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not it's not the other side of the country, but it's not it's not close. Yeah, it's it's just far enough away to be inconvenient, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not super handy to drive over there for just a day or so, a reading just, session. Just to read a chapter. <laughs> not that we haven't tried on Skype, too. How, how did that go? Mm, not the same. It's hard to find time. Yes. At least for me, since I'm doing stuff all day. Yeah, I have an empty nest, so I have all the time in the world. <laughs> you know? But I can, I can work on our TBR. It sounds like that's something you approach Yes, carefully. Exactly. So, um, yeah, we'll get over this, get through this one at Christmas, I think. A sense of direction, we could do it. I think, yeah. Do you have a cue of what you're reading next? Do you already know what comes after the Kraus? No, we have no idea. Okay. How did you find that book? Um, I found it, I must have found it reviewing in a book review somewhere. I think I came across, I didn't pick it out from the library or in, in recommended on Amazon or anything. I just, I think I must have read it, read about it somewhere. Yeah, normally she picks out the books. She'll find something somewhere online and text me, oh my gosh, we have to read this book. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I suppose. And then it always ends up really, it's always a really good book. So yeah, you pick books too sometimes. Yes. Yes. You picked all the classics. That's true. I did. Yes. Really? Okay. So Emily, you tend to pick classics. Mm -hmm. What are, what are some of the ones you've read together? We read Pride and Prejudice. We read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any other? Treasure Island. Oh, right. Treasure Island. Yes. That one. Uh, not, I don't know why I lean toward classics. I think it's just because there are certain books that I've heard about and I wouldn't necessarily read in school. So I wanted to read them with my mom because, you know, why not? Yeah. And they've all been good. Yeah, it's all been all fun. Them. Yes, they take a while to get through, though. They but really do. <laughs> are you saying that classics take longer to read aloud than the same number of words or pages for something that's more contemporary? I would say so. Maybe just because it's um, a harder level. There's a lot more vocabulary and certain things, especially when I was younger, that I wouldn't know right off the bat. So. It took sometimes a little more explanation on my mom's part to kind of guide me through it if I didn't know what was happening. That happened a lot with Swedish books that we read because I would say I'm mostly fluent, but sometimes I have trouble. So having my mom help me through it if I need to was always really nice. Yeah, we had we did little comprehension check-ins when we yeah. had books, but it usually didn't make us not like the book. No, I still loved all of them. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like reading time is important and special and fun and enjoyable because you both love reading, but it sounds like there's a lot more to the experience than that for you all. Yeah, I think it is not just about the reading. It's also about being able to spend time with each other, especially when... 
at least in high school, towards junior and senior year when things got a little crazier and I was getting a job and all of these things. So I think it also just became not only a moment to bond with my mom, but also a moment of peace <laughs> um, in a very hectic few years. So yeah, obviously the books were great to read together and um, that side, but I think also it was about spending time with each other. It's what we do for fun, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's it's what we choose to do when we get together. It's not a chore. It's just no. it's just fun. So you have your books and your reading snacks. Mm -hmm. What are the other components mm -hmm. of a great <laughs> reading time together? Enough time to get mm -hmm. through a little bit. Um, there were some days where I couldn't read together because I had a lot of work to do, but m almost every day, I think. There are very few days that I missed. Yeah, we don't miss many days and at there, all. And there aren't any other real components. It's usually just we sit on the couch or on the porch or somewhere, and then I grab a drink and a snack from the fridge, and then we just read together for as long as we want or have time for, really. Yeah, and it was always great for teenage years, sometimes when maybe we didn't 100% get along <laughs> <laughs> always. But it was always, let, should we sit and read? Yeah, let's sit down and read. And that we worked everything through that way, I think, right? Yes, we didn't have a lot of those days, but no. some days it was just nice <laughs> to check out from this world and into another, yeah. I think. What's it been like for each of you to now have Emily very recently out of the house and away from the porch and the sofa? Um, the transition was not as bad as I thought it would be. Obviously, I miss my parents a lot when I'm at school. And I do miss the reading sessions a lot. I'm not used to not being able to come home and just read something. And that is a hard adjustment. But I mean, we talk all the time and we talk about books. You know, she'll text me in all caps about a book she just read that she really likes. <laughs> so we still get some kind of part of the experience. Um, but yeah, it's, if I could have it in college, I would definitely do it, but it's not always realistic. No, we can't always match our, we can't match our schedules up. No. That's a problem. It's probably worse for me because I'm ambling about the house now, totally drifting, <laughs> <laughs> texting Emily desperately. But yes, we have a book to read. We have to read it soon. When are you coming home? <laughs> yes, it's a transition. Well, I hope you enjoy your reading time at home while you're together. We will. We will. And have a yes. nice long summer ahead of you. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I can't wait. All right. I can't wait to hear more about the books you've read together. You all know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you should read next. Readers, on our recent Ask Me Anything episode, I got lots of questions about recommending books for kids. When it comes to children's recs, I rely on people who know children's books, and Literati Kids sure does. Literati Kids is a book club subscription that sends five beautiful children's books to your door each month, handpicked by experts. They tailor each box with age-appropriate selections for children aged 0 to 12, and around themes like mystery, adventure, and history. My 10-year-old loved his Literati box and found several new favorite authors among their personalized selections. In addition to the books your child receives, 
receives artwork from world-renowned artists, personalized stickers, and other fun goodies in each monthly box. Go to literati.com slash readnext for 25% off your first two orders and pick your kids' book club today. Remember, no one else has kids' book clubs like these. Only at literati.com slash readnext can you get 25% off your first two orders and receive five incredible kids' books curated by experts delivered to your door every month. That's literati.com slash readnext. Let's start with your favorites. I'm so curious what you all read and loved and also what kinds of books make really wonderful read-alouds for you all. Yeah. The first book we picked was Jasper Ford's uh, The Well of Lost Plots. Yeah. So this book is actually the third book in his series called The Thursday Next Series. And that book, it's our favorite from the series, but the whole series is incredible. Um, It represents the whole. So this book and the series, it's hard to explain because it's a very just confusing but amazing world that is so fantastical that it's hard to do justice with words. But it takes place in England, but in a parallel universe. And so in this parallel universe, there is um, genetic engineering. So they brought back dodos and mammoths for some reason. Um, And in this universe, uh, literature is way more popular and literature is all nearly worshipped by all of the um, citizens of this world. And so the main character, Thursday Next, she works for the litera detectives. So she goes around and she finds forged Shakespeare works and all of these things. And the most important part, um, I would say, of this series is that the line between literature and reality is very, very thin. And so characters from inside books, as well as people from outside of books, can jump in and out of books. They can travel inside of them. And Thursday Next, the main character, learns that she actually has this ability to book jump and go inside this world. And what she finds is absolutely incredible. She finds that there's this entire world of books inside of books that no one on the outside ever knew about. And she ends up working for Juris Fiction, which is the policing agency inside of books. I see eyes glassing over now, explaining <laughs> that plot, but it's just, it really is a... I love Jasper Ford. I'm not glossing No, over. it's really a book for book people, exactly. I think. Yes. If you love reading and if you read a lot, you're going to love these books. And so you see all of these different characters, beloved characters from books in a totally different light because now they're outside of their book in jurisdiction or wherever they might be, and you get to see them. And it's very it's strange i would say but again if you love books this is a perfect book because you will understand so many of the references and it's so clever and it's just very it's so hard to describe it's hard to describe but it's so much fun yes so like she for example she for when she first book jumps she jumps into the great library which has 26 floors of books, one for each letter of the alphabet, and it has every book that has ever been written or will ever be written. And the library is run by the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. 
So all of these characters have all of these side jobs outside of their books, and it's really funny. It is. One of our favorites. How did you all find Jasper Ford? It was actually my mother-in-law, another great reader. She started with The Air Affair, which is the first book in the series. And then we, 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 I just kept going. I think there were four of those books available then. Mm-hmm. He has written many more since. He has some standalone books, too, that aren't related to the series. Yep. He also has a side series. Yes. So there's a lot of his books, and they're yes. all amazing. They're all amazing. Have you read them all or awfully close? Yes. I think we have. I think we have. Yep. You haven't read Shades of Grey. That was another of his he started a standalone, and that was a, very different from the other ones. But that's the you know, I've read it, but it wasn't I, one I that we picked for together. Okay. How long ago did you all read these Jasper Ford books? I think we started them when you were—I don't remember—middle school. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it was middle school. Yeah, we just reread the Well of Lost Plots. Yeah. Um, so we're because you couldn't really quite remember them. No, so we started rereading them. So we reread too. That's yeah. <laughs> that's another thing. <laughs> yes, rereading, of course. Oh, I love Jasper Ford. That sounds like a lot of fun to experience with another reader also, like somebody else who gets it. It is, Definitely. yes. What's another book you all love together? So the next book we loved to read together, it's again a stand-in for many books, and it's uh, P.G. Woodhouse's uh, Carry On Jeeves. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that book is the literary equivalent of comfort food. It's like soup (laughs) on a cold day or something cooling and sophisticated, you know, on a on a warm day. It's it's just amazing. And it is an old book. It's from they I think he started writing in the 1920s or something. So a long, long time ago. And if you want a complete escape from reality and deal only with teeny tiny first world problems, this is really the book. It's perfect. So Worcester, Bertram Worcester is this wealthy upper class Englishman and not very smart, I would say. And he has a manservant who is very smart and his name is Jeeves and Jeeves solves all the problems. And <laughs> when we say problems, we mean Worcester gets engaged a lot and he doesn't want to be married. And so Jeeves always gets him out of his engagements. Yes, exactly. Or someone purchased a, an object from Bertie's uncle. And now their world is falling apart because he wants this particular silver cow creamer for his collection. And that leads to a whole thing, a whole book about just one day when they try to get steal the cow creamer back for the family. Yeah, because it would be a horrible thing if that silver cow creamer ended up in the wrong person's hands, yes. the wrong collector, because it needed to stay with the family. It needed to be in the family. And yeah, so Jeeves has to sort all this out with with a lot of twists and turns. And they're just really funny and well-written. And yes, funny. And P.G. Wodehouse has the incredible talent of being able to make this one moment last pages. Yes, and I've, I've never had another author that can do that as well as P.G. Wodehouse can because the books are so hilarious. And I feel like you wouldn't expect that of 
an older book that older comedy would still be as funny now but it's I laugh out loud when I read it yes I hear mom read it to me and it's just it's there's there are no other comedic books like that no no so they're funny and just escape from reality Daniela what's your history with Woodhouse oh I read him I checked him at the library when I was probably a teenager so I had read him a while ago and thought he was funny. And then, yeah, we have all the books in. Yep. yep. And then we, we started reading them. He's just really funny. I know people kind of go back and forth on him a little bit, but I, I think he's hilarious. For our listeners who are new to Woodhouse, where do you think they should start? Oh, any one of the first books. Carry On Jeeves is one of the early ones. Yeah, they're all there are a bunch of different stories in them. Yep. It's a book of short stories, yep. basically. And so you can start, I would say, anywhere, really. Yeah. Because you don't need to read them in order. No. Because they don't always relate. So you can start basically anywhere, but Carry On Jeeves is our favorite. So I think we would recommend that as a good place to start. Yeah. To get a feel for the series. But, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There are also other series. He has the... Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's it's a different setting. It does not have Jeeves and Worcester in it, and we haven't really got into that series at all. It's not bad, but it's um, Jeeves and Worcester are better. What's another book you all loved reading together? Um, so this is kind of completely different than both of the other two we talked about, but this is called When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi, and it's a memoir. And it is about him as a med student wanting to figure out what the meaning is to life and figure out what makes a meaningful life and a virtuous life and all of these things. And so it's about his journey from kind of naive medical student with all of these, you know, hopes and philosophies and him becoming a neurosurgeon and being diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And so his whole world basically falls apart because after a certain point when you're sick, he couldn't work anymore. And he defined himself as a neurosurgeon. And so it's basically about his journey as first a student and then a doctor and then finally as a patient. And he had to come to terms with having to be a patient in the end. And um, he had to faced his own mortality and figure out what that meant, figure out is there a purpose to life when you know you're going to die? All of these very tough questions that a person at his age, he was very young, I believe in his 30s, mm-hmm. um, when he was diagnosed. And he had a wife and he had a kid and he was a father. And so he had to figure out all of these very tough questions that a person at his age should never have to figure out. And, um, it's very heart-wrenching. We cried. Oh, yes. We sobbed. Um, but it's so powerful. And I do really enjoy memoirs, and I think that that's one of my favorite memoirs of all time. Because it's also because I want to go to medical school, it also gave me some perspective about that. And also it's just so profound and so just it's so sad it is so sad (laughs) but I would say even if you're a person that doesn't like sad books 
I know you don't even like sad things, really. Not really, no. But you liked it, right? I loved it. Yeah. So it's, even if you don't like books that will make you cry, even if you hate feeling sad after reading a book, it's so worth it because the journey that he takes is so profound and it's really fascinating to read about it. Yeah, it, it is a really good book. How did you all decide to read this one together? Um, this was you again, right? Well, I, d- I didn't read it first, though. I came yeah. across it and I, I heard when the book first came out, they interviewed his wife, I think. And I read an interview with her and I thought, I have to read that book. So then we started reading it together. Mm-hmm. So that was a book journey we took together. Yes. And oh, my word, that was <laughs> we were crying, both of us at yeah. the end. But it was it was a really good book. And yes, poignant. Yes, that's all there is to say about that one. And I hear you. I, I had been warned that I would need buckets of Kleenex. And I think. Yes. I I also read all the interviews with Lucy Kalanithi and thought, oh, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine. But oh, the epilogue slayed me. The one that she wrote. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It really did. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, Daniela, you don't usually like sad books, but what was it about this one? Did you feel did you feel like the message made it worthwhile? Did you feel like the personal story drew you in? Because that's a big step outside your normal reading choices, it sounds like. Yes, it, I think it was. The story is just when when we heard when I heard the interview or read it. It, it was just amazing. And he was so incredibly talented. And the question he raises are so important that I really felt that that was a book we needed to read. Yeah. It was a have to. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, it was wonderful. And, and worth yes, worth definitely <laughs> worth the tears. It's one of those books that stays with you. Uh, yes. And something that really struck me about Paul Kalanithi is he knew he was dying, but he loved literature enough. And his dream of being of writing a book went so deep that that's what he chose to do with with his time and his energy. I was really struck by that. And I think that struck me as well, because I'm a, a science student and I'm thinking of med school, but also I love books. And I that really hit me because it was the joining of two of my favorite things literature and science. And so not only was he a neurosurgeon and practicing this very high level um, scientific practice, he also was raising these questions and thinking critically and doing all of these things that a book lover would do. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yes, because it combined science and literature with, and that has, that helped you when you picked, because sometimes science and literature are presented as opposites, like you can't combine them. I mean, it, we all know it isn't, but that's the way it's somehow presented. Sometimes you, people ask you to choose. Yes. And I would never, ever want to choose between the two. And which is why the university that I go to, they don't force you along any path and you can take whatever classes you want. So I can still have both of those passions in my life. Exactly. So I can see how so many readers would feel a real kinship with Kalanithi, even if they weren't medical doctors. Oh, I remember how surprised I was when I found out my OBGYN was a French major. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I was going to med school. 
you know, school didn't care as long as my grades were good. And he went to great schools, but oh, I was so surprised. Oh, that's amazing. In a good way, yeah. but that's just not the norm. So, um, Emily, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're on board with the not demarcating our, our intellectual lives into really tidy compartments that are far apart from each other. Yeah, I've, I've never believed in that. No. Okay, this is the part where we talk about the books you didn't love. Have you had any read aloud experiences where the book itself has just bombed? Yes, but usually <laughs> we have, but usually we don't get very far into them because our reading time is precious. It's supposed to be fun. So there's no have tos here. So if yeah. we don't like it, we stop. But we did think about one. Go ahead, Emily. <laughs> it was Dan Brown's Inferno. You would think because of who the author is that it would be a very good book and a very exciting and fun book to read but it just the the premise I just couldn't get behind and I could not I don't know the premise what's the premise so um the main character wakes up from a coma in Italy and he doesn't remember who he is he has no memory of what happened to him or what is even his name is and yet he remembers all of these secret passageways and these you know, hidden doors and all of these secrets in Italy. And that just, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I did not think that that. Well, maybe everything was fantastic after 50 pages. We'll never know. (laughs) Because that premise was so ridiculous that we could not get behind it. Well, a lot of people like Dan Brown and like his books. So it's not, it was just not perfect for us, I think. No. And he also met this woman um, in his travels around Italy. And that was just Florence, I think. Oh, just yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just Florence. And she becomes his companion and sort of a guide. But even though she has not been in a coma and even though she is native to Florence, he ends up taking her along and showing her everything. And she ends up being his kind of stupid sidekick. Which, again, I, didn't, I couldn't get behind that either. Again, possibly that was resolved later, but it just wasn't worth it, our time. It was not resolved fast <laughs> enough for us no. to be able to continue reading it. No. So we didn't make it through that one. That's another. That's probably the only rule we have when we read books together. If we don't like them, we stop. And we, we want to give it a shot. So yes. we, we kept going for about 50 pages, right? Yes. And then after that, if it doesn't get better, then no. we, we stop. Yes. Okay. And we know what you all are reading right now. Yes. It's The A Sense of Direction by Gideon Lewis Krauss. Daniela, how does your, how would you describe your taste when you're picking out books for yourself? Well, it's funny because we actually have very different independent reading tastes. I lead, read a lot of crime and thrillers. I'm and not a crime person. And right, <laughs> and right now I'm on some sort of a nonfiction travel kick. So that's, yes, that's an, I get a bit I, I get different obsessions and then I read everything that I can find in just that mm-hmm. angle. And you like different things. I, I read a bit of everything, I would say. I think when I was younger, I loved fantasy mm-hmm. and I loved sci-fi and I love that. And I still do, but it's harder to find good fantasy books like Jasper Ford um, for that can be for an older audience. Um, I think at first we didn't read much nonfiction. And then I forget which book we started with that was nonfiction, but I 
totally fell in love with nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And I still love nonfiction a lot. And I was very hesitant at first because I said, where's the magic? Where's all the crazy worlds and universes? And I was not expecting to love nonfiction. And I, I really do now. And I still do. And I definitely, I don't know if I would gravitate towards nonfiction every time, but I will always read a nonfiction book. Okay. That is good to know. All right. I think I have some ideas. Oh, yay. It's been so fun to talk to you all about these. Um, okay. I have a strange question for you and here's what it's rooted in. Here's what's on my mind. I have a friend who recommends a lot of books for parents and children to read aloud together. And I'm sure I'll be talking about this book on the podcast in the future, but I don't know if, I don't know if she's ready for me to out her right now. But when she was putting together book lists to share with her audience that parents and teens, teens especially, um, could read aloud together, she realized that there's a whole another layer of complications in recommending books to teens to read aloud. And so, you know, a teen is in a different place. A young teen is in a different place than a college student, Emily. But, um, she said that when 13, 15 year olds are reading these stories about, um, identity and they're growing up and they're reading about harder themes, sometimes for the first time, that there's a difference between being comfortable reading a book for yourself and it being the right book for you when you're a young teenager and being comfortable reading it out loud with your mom or your dad. Um, you know, as kids are finding love or getting in trouble or dealing with major identity issues. Like there are some movies that I love my mom loves, but that doesn't necessarily mean I want to sit next to her and watch because she's my mother. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you feel that way about choosing your books? Yes, I do. You do? Well, no. <laughs> there are some books that I've read that I like, I wouldn't read with you. I think just because maybe they're more, they're just plain romances, and I feel like we don't need to read those together. Oh, that's or true. Or things like that, you mm -hmm. know, because I think we tend to read maybe more challenging things or things that I wouldn't necessarily pick out for myself. So, yeah. Maybe. I, I haven't really thought about that a lot when we choose books. I can see how that would be an issue. Mm -hmm. Um but mo yeah, I don't know. That, that's I don't have a good answer to yeah, that. Because I, I think we would read almost anything. And if I have a really good book, I recommend it to her. And if, you know, and it's the other way around as well. But I think as cliche as, as it is, you know, like I enjoy romances too. And I just feel like that's, we wouldn't read a romance together, just a kind of mushy teen romance novel. Yes, together, yeah. Just because... I feel like that's not how we operate. No, I mean, we could, we it could, just, but, but maybe those are books that anyone would want to read on their own. Yeah. I think because we'd never read Eleanor and Park or, Oh, I would not want to read that out loud with my mom. Really, really wouldn't. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I, I love I, you mom and you're probably listening, but Ooh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or even, um, the fault in our stars. We didn't read aloud no. together, but, I yeah. Don't know why? No. I think it's just because I read it first, and then I said, "You're gonna have to read this." <laughs> Wait, we were in a hurry. I had to get through it yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's why. But um, 
yeah, I guess there are books that we wouldn't read together. I suppose, but I I wouldn't say it's limiting in any no, sense no. to the content that we read. Well, I want you to know that that is a factor that I'm keeping in mind as we think about books. So something else I want to say is I feel like I've gotten a whole slew of questions recently, especially from podcast guests at this moment right here that say, how many days do you take to do your research to recommend books? And I just want to say again, like we're, we're not stopping. This is happening right now. So, and sometimes later I'll okay. think like, oh, I wish I'd remembered or, you know, I wish I remembered the title of that one book or why didn't it occur to me to recommend a certain title? But no, this is, this is happening now. All right. Okay. Want a confidence boost? Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. Get gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door starting at $22. This is game-changing color you can do at home and look as if you just came from the salon without the time or expense. At Madison Reed, master colorists blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. What should I read next? Listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with the code READ. Use the code READ, R-E-A-D, at madison-reed, R-E-E-D.com. Readers, if you love What Should I Read Next, you're going to love being part of our Patreon community. That's where we share bonus episodes, including follow-ups with previous guests, interesting conversations that were cut for time reasons, and one great book style episodes where I tell you all about recent reads that I adore. In addition to the extra audio, you get access to our super secret spreadsheet vault with a full list of all the books guests love and my three recommendations from every episode in an easy-to-search format. And on occasion, we get together live online for Ask Us Anything-style conversations and events like our 90-minute fall book preview and summer reading guide unboxing. Join for all these perks and to be part of the community behind What Should I Read Next. Go to patreon.com slash what should I read next. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash what should I read next to become a member today. Patreon.com slash what should I read next. I do have some ideas. So you're great with nonfiction. Mm -hmm. The fantasy element is fun. Have you all read Four Seasons in Rome by Anthony Doerr? I have. I have not. Oh, it is amazing. <laughs> it, it was one of my summer books. It is, it is really good. It's on our shelf. We could read it. Yeah. Well, what I love about it for you all potentially, well, Daniela knows all this, is that it's, uh, it's so vividly drawn. Um, okay, this is Four Seasons in Rome by Anthony Doerr. And the subtitle turned me off for a long time. It's on twins, insomnia, and the biggest funeral in the history of the world. And that just sounded a little, I don't know, slapstick, bizarre to me. And I just didn't, I didn't get it, but the cover's gorgeous. But after reading All the Light We Cannot See, which is another book I think you all would really enjoy together, but you would have to save that for summer because otherwise you'd be reading it a chapter at a time for a really, really long time. That's a 500 pager. But Four Seasons in Rome is a memoir slash journal from his time in Rome. He won, he won a writing fellowship to, with the American Academy. And that means that he could go write in Italy for a year with his expenses paid with his family. Uh, at the time, he and his wife had two six-month children. And he has some really funny and horrifying in, uh, stories about navigating the streets of Rome, uh, which are not made for strollers with his twins and just trying to get the shopping done and not getting killed when crossing the street with the Roman traffic, which, I mean, I thought my town was bad, but wow. And that happened to be when Pope John Paul died. So that's the thing with the biggest funeral in the history of the world, where he felt like he was witnessing history to a large degree. But 
his portraits of what living this life that is totally foreign to me are just so engrossing. And he makes them, he makes you feel like you're there. And also he had me Googling all kinds of spaces. Like he talks about marveling in this one cathedral. I'm like, I want to see what this looks like. So if I can't go, at least I can look at images online. But Emily, if you do like the memoir and the nonfiction, it's such an interesting story and it will make you want to travel. But I also love that it's 200 pages. So you all could read it over maybe like spring break if you're home and not just have to save it for summer. Yeah, definitely. I think I would, I think I would check that out. Yeah. If, if we couldn't read it together, I would definitely look at that on my own. Yeah, it's beautiful, but I think we could read it together and it would be quick. Mm-hmm. It is, it is amazing. Once you get over the insane jealousy you feel when someone gets <laughs> a ticket to go to Rome for a year with expenses paid, you know, once you're over that, you know, it's fine, but it's the, it's beautifully written. There are some sentences in, in there that you, you just stop and marvel at. I'm wondering if you all have read anything by Charlie Lovett. He writes literary mysteries. His first one was The Bookman's Tale. And then he wrote First Impressions about Pride and Prejudice, or Jane Austen, more like. Um, his most recent one came out in the spring. It's called The Lost Book of the Grail. Are these books you all know? No, we've never even heard of that. Oh, that's amazing. These are not series, but the books are all in the same spirit. They're all mysteries based on on literature on the actual manuscripts so love it himself is he used to be an antiquarian bookseller and he's a serious book collector and he's taken everything he knows and really imbued it into his novels they don't read like all the light you cannot see they read more like jasper ford although they're not fantasy these are these are realistic i mean some of the events may be a little far-fetched but they're not they're not fantastical. So I like these for you because um, they're good stories. They're um, easy to read quickly. And if you like Jasper Ford and the, they've got a little bit of the, like the wit and the hijinks of Jeeves, although on a, on a different, on a different level, I think, I think you could really enjoy these. So if you are picking up one of these to start, if that sounds good with you, I think I'd start with The Bookman's Tale, which was his first, but is still my favorite. So what happens in this story is there is, it's been a while since I read it. I think this came out about five years ago, but there is a bookseller or a college student. It's probably one or the other who stumbles upon, I think it's a painting in the leaves of a very old book, which throws the authorship of Shakespeare's plays into doubt. So then the characters go scrambling off in all directions and there's a race against time, although I don't really remember what hammer is waiting to drop on them. But they need to figure out if Shakespeare really wrote his plays and they need to find out as soon as possible. So there's a lot of stories of friendship and history and literature. It's set in, I believe, the country of Britain, it has kind of an old fashioned feel to it. It's maybe not a novel that will endure to the end of time and like be cherished by scholars for, you know, centuries from now, but it's a lot of fun, especially for book lovers. And that's why I like it for you. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. And yeah. I, I think especially since it's it's kind of Jasper Fordish, I would say. Sounds like it. From from what I've yeah. from what you just told us. Oh, that would be perfect. It's not, you feel like Jasper Ford is winking at you the whole time. It's not quite that, 
It's not to that degree, but it's definitely in that direction. But you don't have to start with the bookman's tale. If you'd rather read about the Holy Grail, his newest one, um, the Lost Book of the Grail deals with that mystery also set at a, I think this is set at a fictional university in Britain. And then First Impressions centers around the authorship of Pride and Prejudice. Ooh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. All right. I'm glad you like the sound of that. Do you know anything about, well, first of all, have you read Terry Pratchett? Yeah. um, Well, not much, really. But you know, you know him as an author. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about Every Heart a Doorway? I have not even heard of that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No. But it sounds, if it's Terry Pratchett, it's probably interesting. This is not Terry Pratchett. Oh, okay. So this is Shana McGuire, uh, a female Irish writer, I believe. And she's been winning awards for her novels and short stories for a year. They're kind of genre bending. Um, Some of her books veer towards um, the scarier stuff, but she always has like a strong root in fantasy. So I wouldn't call this scary, but it's definitely creepy. And I like it because it's short. It's 200 pages or less. You could get through it really quickly together um, since you don't have the reading time you used to. So this story set at Eleanor West's School for Wayward Children, where it's not unusual for them to accidentally stumble into other worlds. And you, so, you know, the Cheshire Cat and Lewis Carroll, imagine Alice in Wonderland, but instead of there just being one Wonderland, there are hundreds. And every time you visit another world, it changes you. So this is a little bit old fashioned fairy tale. I mean, like the Brothers Grimm, dark and creepy kind of fairy tale, a little bit mystery, uh, a whole lot of fantasy. And it won all kinds of awards that I think might impress Emily or like say that this book is in her fantasy wheelhouse. Like it won the the Alex Award this year, the Hugo, the Nebula, all kinds of fantasy awards for the story that is, I don't know if you would call this YA. You know, I guess if it won the Alex Award, I guess that means this is an adult book that has a lot of resonance and appeal with a teen audience too. So it's not written for children, but it's no wonder I've seen this on a lot of YA lists. It's a strange book, but uh, but you do strange sometimes. How does that sound? Awesome. That sounds really yeah. good too. They all sound good. Wonderful. So I'm thinking about more fantasy, but I'm also thinking about nonfiction. I don't want to pile on on top of When Breath Becomes Air, but have you read or do you know anything about Option B by Sheryl Sandberg? And I'm also thinking about Grit by Angela Duckworth, like in the same vein. I, I have heard of Option B by Sheryl Sandberg. I haven't read it yet. It was actually something I thought of that we could read together. And Grit, I have read, but Emily hasn't read it. What did you think of that one? I liked Grit. I I really liked it. It's something that comes up a lot in education circles these days. And it's it's really good. I like it. It's It's a thinking about mindset. Or am I thinking of a different book? Like how you how you push through difficult times, right? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a great description to me. Yes. No, it's really good. Well, I'm thinking about option B which is not crazy long, but it, it, it reads fast. Lots of people know that because Sheryl Sandberg is who Sheryl Sandberg is when her husband died suddenly at very young age, it was news. So, which must be horrible, but lots of people do know this story. But now a few years later, she's written a book about what she learned about 
um, facing adversity and grit and especially resilience coming out of that experience. So she's longtime friends with Adam Grant, a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania, who's written books like Originals and Give and Take that you all might also like. Uh, They're a little more, I don't know, they feel like a little more businessy to me. But Option B is a really personal book about dealing with personal loss. And I just read this recently, and I really appreciated the way she talked about resilience and how important it is and how it can be cultivated, not just before something terrible happens in your life, because if you're human, you're going to face terrible things in your life. But even in the midst of it, how you can develop the resilience you need to move forward. She said so many things about working through difficult situations, um, just from her own experience, like this is what happened to my family, but also talking about others who have faced, um, horrible things like who have, um, had to deal with not just loss, but also things like, uh, assault or whose families have been, yeah, we'll, we'll just leave it there. This isn't an easy read. Um, I mean, it's fine. I listened to this on audiobook in the car and I found it really, really interesting. But whenever I arrived at my destination, I'd be like, uh, you know, I just feel kind of, sad and I'm not really sure why. And I finally realized it's because I've been listening to this book. So just know going in, like, like when breath becomes air, it's not like going to make you feel really happy in the moment. But I kept listening going like, Oh, like that's such a good point. I didn't know that. And she gives some really, um, practical advice, like told through many, many, many stories about what it's like to grieve, what grieving people need, how you can be, um, you know, the friend or the neighbor, or the coworker, or the family member that someone who's experienced something difficult needs, like what to say to them, what not to say to them, what they may actually very practically need in the moment, and what they definitely don't. And of course, she talks about what you may need also, if you're the one in that situation, like she was the one in that situation. But there's such good advice for being human in this book. It seems like the kind of book, similar to When Breath Becomes Air, that deals with really essential things in the human experience. How does that sound to you? That sounds really good. Yeah. I, yes, it's been sort of low on my TBR, but it might move higher now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds like a good book. Okay. I also was thinking about Robin McKinley. Have you all read anything by her? No, not even heard of her. Have you, Emily? No, I don't think so. Okay. She is a... She's very well known in some fantasy circles, but I don't feel like she's the headliner she deserves to be. Um, and she has a really meaty catalog at this point because she's been writing uh, prolifically for a really long time. Where to start? Maybe start with The Hero in the Crown. Uh, it came out more than 10 years ago, less than 20. It was a Newbery winner. And she writes really engaging fantasy, um, often with strong female protagonists. She's often putting a spin on old fashioned fairy tales and just, just shaking them up a little for modern times. And just what you've said about the kind of books that appeal to you, especially the fantasy, I think you might be happy to know her as an author. Yeah, yeah that sounds great. All right. Of these titles, what do you all think you might read next? What do you think, Emily? Um, I really like the idea of the bookman's tale me too yes i think that would be really fun. i think that would be good 
Yes. It seems like a great cozy read for winter. Yes. That does sound amazing and perfect for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll go with a bookman's tale. I'm so glad. And I can't wait to hear what you all think. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. And thank you for having us. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emily and Daniela today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Emily and Daniela and let them know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 111. That's 111. And it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Next week, we have another great episode headed your way and it's especially perfect for the new year or anyone who wants to read a little more or get more insight into their reading habits in the year to come. Here's a peek. What were your bucket list books last year? Well, so War and Peace, um, uh-huh. which is surprisingly accessible. I'm going to throw that out there. If somebody wants to tackle a long book, this would be the quintessential long book um, because the chapters are really short. Uh-huh. Like you can read a chapter in five minutes and that's pretty motivational to feel like, wow, I had five minutes and I just read a chapter in Tolstoy. Now, granted, there are Catch my full conversation with Laura Vandergam next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.